Hi, this is Brendan, and thanks for listening to The Collect Call. Holly and I are taking an Easter break, but back in 2014 when this podcast started, we recorded seven episodes, I think maybe eight, for Easter season, and uh, we didn't really know what we were doing, so the audio quality of those episodes wasn't super hot. We do still have the original audio files, so we've cleaned them up a little bit, and we are releasing them to you while we figure out what year three of the Collect Call is going to look like. Speaking of which, if you have opinions about that, you should tell us by sending us an email at thecollectcall at acts8movement.org or by reaching out to us on Twitter at thecollectcall. Two other quick things. Right before Easter, I thought I had posted our remastered edition of episode one of the podcast. Um, Somehow I screwed something up and it wasn't there. Anyway, you should be able to find it in your podcast feed now, so sorry about that. Uh, Second thing is, I just want to remind you that the E-Formation Conference at Virginia Theological Seminary is coming up June 6th through 8th. Yours truly will be leading a workshop there, Uh, but there are also other workshops led by such fabulous people as Scott Gunn, Maria Love Parrish, Lori Brock, and many other people that I just can't remember at the moment. Check it out at eformationvts.org. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Collect Call podcast. This podcast is an offering of the Acts 8 moment, proclaiming resurrection in the Episcopal Church. Before we get started, let's take a moment to introduce ourselves. Holly, you want to say who you are? Sure. Uh, my name's Holly Powell. I am a proud layperson from the Church of the Holy Trinity in Georgetown, Kentucky. And I'm Brendan O'Sullivan Hale, also a proud layperson, but I'm from the Episcopal Church of All Saints in Indianapolis, Indiana. Wonderful. Well, so. If you haven't listened to one of our podcasts before, what we do here in the College Call is take a quick minute and take a look at the collect that has been appointed for the week in our Book of Common Prayer. Often it is one of the very first things that happens in your church service, and there's a lot in these short little prayers that Brendan and I have at least found that sometimes get overlooked or missed. So we decided to take some time each week to dissect and and, uh, slice and dice these prayers a little bit, see what they're trying to say to us. And uh, we decided to record our amazing musings and bring you all along for the ride. Now, uh, one thing worth mentioning is that uh, collect, uh, if you are a first-time listener, is a kind of funny-sounding word. It is actually spelled like collect, as in National Geographic magazine or Franklin Mint Plates. Uh, Before we get started uh, looking at this week's collect, Holly, um, I have one quick correction that I need to make to something that I said last week. I made the grievous error of referring to the letter of the Hebrews, and it is in fact the letter to the Hebrews, and uh, I don't want anybody to uh, be confused or misinformed. Wow, I think we've all been waiting for this stunning admission, so I'm glad that you decided to come clean. Well, I'm very embarrassed about it, um, but I'm pleased to say that I am out in front of the Twitters. Um, (laughs) So the other thing, um, before we get started, is that 
you know, I, I had an experience uh, earlier this week where I felt like the prayer or part of the prayer in last week's collect uh, was actually answered for me. And this is a story that I think is mostly going to reflect badly on me, uh, but I thought I'd just share it anyway. So I was out, out of town at a, a conference uh, on Monday, and I got a uh, phone call from my bank asking me to update uh, some of my information, saying that I hadn't done this for a while and all that. And actually, what they were asking me to do was, frankly, kind of ridiculous. But I'm just going to say that I was a total jerk on the phone. I mean, just way, way beyond uh, what was actually called for. And after that call was over, I was like, wow, I, I, I sure wasn't living out in my life what I profess by my faith uh, just that moment. I wasn't uh, seeking and serving Christ in all persons, loving my neighbor as myself. And so I, anyway, I felt really, really bad about it. And uh, so the next day, uh, I actually called back and I apologized. You did? And I did. And actually, I, I didn't get the person who had called me. I got somebody else who shared the same phone number and actually the same first name, so it was all very confusing. Um, but apparently I, I was rude enough that it had elicited comment, so she knew who I was and uh, seemed very surprised and a little flustered that I had actually called back to apologize. Uh, but she said she would pass on the message. And uh, the whole thing was very weird, but I thought, okay, so even in that first moment, that first moment where I was a total jerk on the phone was not a shining moment for me. Uh, but, you know, we spent a lot of time last week talking about reconciliation, and I did my best to redeem that situation. Well, I think that is a pretty awesome story. And it's interesting because I also have had several not quite as dramatic moments, but definitely moments throughout this past week where I have called back to that uh, little snippet of living out uh, in your life what you profess in your faith. And, and I have to say, I don't know that I would have been quite as impacted by that had I just heard it in the service without this kind of reflection. So I think that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I, you know, usually these prayers just blow right past me, um, yeah. but it had a real impact on my life this week. Awesome. Well, speaking of, should uh, would you like to read the, the collect for the third Sunday of Easter? Absolutely. So uh, if you are following along at home, you'll find this on page 224 of your Book of Common Prayer, uh, or you can find it uh, online at bcponline.org. Uh, O God, whose blessed Son made himself known to his disciples in the breaking of bread, open the eyes of our faith, that we may behold him in all his redeeming work, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. All right. I think this is a really beautiful prayer, uh, Holly, and uh, I know you did uh, some homework looking at the scriptural roots of where this thing comes from. Yeah, yeah, I did. That whole section of made, making himself known in the breaking of bread, I knew that, that that wording sounded quite familiar. So I went to the lectionary for the week and read through that. So we're going to be reading Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35, which is about the walk to Emmaus. The, the short version of this long tale, I don't want to spoil anything for you because you will be hearing it again on Sunday, but 
two two people who were uh, followers of Jesus, the the gospel says, are walking on a road and they're joined by Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Uh, and they're talking about Jesus and how impactful that he was on their lives. But and Jesus is kind of calling them out and asking them lots of questions about what they learned from this guy, but they still don't know it's him until the evening when they have dinner with this random blessed dude. And he, he picks the bread up from the table, blesses it, and breaks it. And then the, uh, the gospel says, this is a quote, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their side. So it's really a very literal phrasing. He made himself known to them in at the moment in which he broke the bread. Yeah, and I think there are callbacks here to other other elements in the gospel. Clearly, the most obvious one is looking back to the institution of communion uh, in the Last Supper. Uh, but I also think uh, that uh, there are sort of, as you described the story, maybe uh, shades of where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am in the midst of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we continue to know uh, Jesus in the breaking of the bread. And that happens both sacramentally uh, through the Holy Eucharist, but also uh, in our sharing and fellowship uh, with one another in community. All right. That's a really interesting point. So what did you think about the phrase, open the eyes of our faith? Well, I think it's a highly evocative phrase, and I also think it's highly confusing phrase. It's hard for me. I'm a literalist, right? I'm an accountant by trade, so this, these things are a little tough for me. But my, I don't often picture my faith as, as having eyes, as being able to see things. So I was kind of thinking, well, is this trying to say, why didn't they just say open our eyes? What is it about our faith? Um, Are they saying, are they using our faith as kind of a, a collective, our people, the people of our faith? I'm not really sure. What do you, what do you think about that? You know, it it is a bit of a, a puzzling phrase it does suggest in some ways uh, to avoid being too certain uh, in one's faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, one of the common uh, critiques of, of religion from atheists or spiritual but not religious uh, people is that, is that faith, in fact, cause, in fact, causes your eyes to be closed, not open. Uh, right. In some respects, uh, this phrasing uh, is a, a warning away from that. Uh, that, that faith is supposed to open you up, uh, not shut you down. You can find uh, Jesus in all kinds of places. I think about, uh, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was in prison and you visited me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, uh, and I'll give credit where credit is due, uh, I was listening uh, to another podcast uh, earlier today uh, called Pulpit Fiction, and uh, we'll link to it uh, in the show notes. But they were talking about the road to Emmaus story uh, and cited a slightly earlier point in the story that's the critical juncture for these two followers of Jesus as recognizing uh, Jesus. And that is that the story has them talking on the road uh, and then they finally reach Emmaus 
And I'm in uh, in Luke 24, verse 28 here. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on, that is Jesus. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So the precipitating event that allows Jesus to be uh, with these people uh, breaking bread uh, is them extending hospitality to Jesus uh, as he is about ready to proceed down the road. And so it is that act of giving, um, that act of, of literally showing forth in your life what you profess by your faith that, that allows them to, uh, to understand that they are in the presence of Christ. That's great. That's a really interesting point. So, as we often do, we took a look at, at the, uh, the history of this prayer and learned that this is a revised version of a collect which was written for the 1928 Book of Common Prayer. It was composed by the Reverend Dr. John W. Souter, I think, Sr. What I think is really interesting about this, I, I don't know why I find this so fascinating, but kind of a nerd. The original form of the prayer said that we may behold thee in all thy works. And when it was revised, it was changed to say redeeming work. And I, I'm curious why the word redeeming was added to that phrasing. Open the eyes of our faith that we may behold him in all his redeeming work. Any thoughts on that? Well, I suppose in some senses, redeeming is almost redundant in that uh, I think arguably all of Christ's work on earth is geared towards redemption. Uh, right. So perhaps it's just underlining the point. Maybe, yeah. It To me, it almost seems like and, and I probably wouldn't have thought this until I saw the two prayers compared side by side, but it almost sounds like, well, what is it he's doing that's not redeeming? It brought up some of that kind of theology that I find quite bizarre about God doing bad things to good people. Maybe that's not his redeeming work, but but you're probably right. It's just probably a, trying to drive the point home a little more, and I'm thinking too much about it. (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't know about that, Holly. Maybe this is a little bit beyond the purview of this podcast, uh, but I I think, you know, you think about what about Jesus' work might not be redeeming. Think about the story of the Gerasene demoniac, where uh, Jesus drives drives the demon out of this guy, uh, and they go into the pigs, and then the pigs uh, run into the lake and drown. Uh, Right robbing whoever owns the pigs of some some aspect of their livelihood. Mm-hmm. So certainly there's some moral complexity to that story uh, in terms of what happens to that guy next. Uh, so, you know, there's some characters who show up in the gospel um, who maybe with some justification uh, would say that, that, you know, there were there were some costs that they bore uh, because of Jesus' work involuntarily. Sure, that's true. And maybe... Our faith doesn't want to see that. So don't don't show us that, God. Just show us the good stuff. Well. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're back to the closed eyes of faith. Exactly. <laughs> I'm bringing it full circle to you. 
So um, I'm going to take us down a little bit of a possible rabbit hole on uh, on John W. Souter uh, Sr., the author of this prayer, um, because I, I was curious, you know, just who was this guy? And uh, so I found out about this arcane office within the Episcopal Church. There is a person who is called the Custodian of the Standard Book of Common Prayer. And from from 1932 to 1942, this guy had that job. And the duty of the Custodian of the Standard Book of Common Prayer back in the day was to stay in possession of and maintain the official printer's plates of the prayer book. John W. Souter served in this role, and then from 1942 to 1962, his son, John W. Souter Jr., served as the custodian of the uh, Standard Book of Common Prayer. And during that period of time, or for part of it anyway, John W. Souter, Souter Jr. also served as dean of Washington National Cathedral. Interesting. So the the Souter family had this thing kind of wrapped up for a period of, what, 30 years? 30 years. So now this office still exists today. So it is currently occupied by the Reverend Gregory M. Howe, who has uh, been doing that since 2000. Now, given that books are no longer printed the same way, um, as far as I'm aware, he is not in possession of, like, the printer's plates anymore. Um, But I did find a quote from him in an interview about the uh, Book of Common Prayer app uh, that the uh, that the Episcopal Church has produced, saying that he was unable to certify uh, that book, that it is not officially the Book of Common Prayer, uh, but yes. he did say that it is an excellent tool uh, for worship. Wow. That is super interesting stuff. And I am being completely serious, which should tell you everything you need to know about me. <laughs> <laughs> How cool! Yeah, yeah. So we'll see if we have any listeners left after uh, after that. Exactly. <laughs> so, do we have anything else that that we want to say about the prayer before we move on to to the tweetable prayer portion of the podcast? Holly, I am so ready for the Twitter challenge. I'm going to win but this one. You? Yes, I'm horrified and awed by your excitement. So I would really like for you to go first. Okay. Okay, here we go. In communion or crackers, gluten-free or whole wheat, help me, Jesus, to see you wherever people share their gifts. Hashtag Easter 3, hashtag Wonder Bread. (laughs) Well... You probably won, but <laughs> interestingly enough, we took a similar theme. Did we really? Do you have gluten-free in yours, too? I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as some of you may know, I gave up gluten for Lent, uh, which was sort of medically recommended, but also came around the first week of Lent, so uh, the whole gluten thing's been on my mind a little bit. <laughs> anyway. Here's mine. And by the way, it is 133 characters. I had to check it out to make sure. God, you are all around me, and I do not or will not recognize you. Open my eyes. Help me see. Hashtag collect of the week. 
hashtag Axe 8, hashtag not gluten-free. <laughs> <laughs> that is excellent. By the way, my, mine was 137 characters. I was brushing up against it. Yeah, well, these things happen on Twitter. Well, that'll probably uh, do it for uh, this, this week's podcast. Um, but we have a shout-out to an actual priest who likes our show. Yay! Yes, we want to say thanks to the Reverend Steve Pankey of St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Foley, Alabama, who recently delivered a sermon about this very podcast and encouraged his folks in his parish to come listen. So if you are from Steve's church, thank you for coming, and you can tell your priest we were talking about him. This podcast, The Collect Call, is an offering of the Acts 8 Moment. Follow us on the web at acts8moment.org. That's acts, the number 8, moment.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash acts8moment or on Twitter at acts8moment. And please come let us know if you're listening. We are really interested to get your feedback. And as we said before, this is a sort of a pilot program that we had planned to run through Easter season and then reevaluate. So if we don't get a lot of comments from you guys, um, this podcast may be burned up in the tongues of flame on Pentecost. <laughs> well, let's hope not. One quick note is that the Acts 8 Executive Committee is going to be meeting in person uh, in Columbus, Ohio from May 5th to 7th. Uh, so if you are listening to this uh, before or during that uh, August event, uh, please keep us in your prayers. Yes, please do. Our theme music is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence by Aaron DeVries, distributed under a Creative Commons license. Find more of Aaron's music at badgerland.bandcamp.com. That's it for this week. We'll see you all next week for Easter 4. Happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter. Let all mortal flesh keep silence And with fear and trembling stand Ponder nothing earthly-minded For with blessing in his hand Christ our God to earth Descended our full homage to.